Mind Studio. 2020-2021, actually the number of crypto accounts overtook a DMAT account. Here is a generation that just started reading about finance, and suddenly, because all of them were at home and they have and they've not experienced the consequences of risk, you go so quickly all in that 40 years of stock market and two years of crypto, and you end up having twice the amount of crypto accounts as compared to DMAT account to grow in your career. I think for the first five years to grow in your career, your core skill matters. But after five years, where you end up depends on your management skills and not your core skill. Following the advice of your seniors or your managers actually don't work because the dynamics have changed. And we think we are doing the right steps. Why are the results not coming? Ultimately, including me, most of us on YouTube, on social media, more than finance experts, we are entertainers in a lot of ways. Um, no one has a lot of proven track record of making or Rent. managing public money. No one has that. It's just that we reproduce knowledge that assumed to be boring in a more entertaining and in a more bite-sized way. You know, in my school, we studied moral science in a way that in today's chapter we'll study about uh, morality. In today's chapter, we'll study about honesty. I never found that in you know Indian mythology. So I think Mahabharat, Ramayana, all of that. The Indian way of education is including everything in an interesting story, because probably the thought process was it is then that you retain more. From Wine Studio, you are listening to the inspiring talk, a show where I bring the conversations with today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you take your life, business, and career. to the next level If there is one thing that I wish I had learned way before than I did was to educate myself about finance not to jump into any of the asset class just because it's in the hype For instance in 2020 I invested a lot into crypto thinking that i'm going to miss out the opportunity to make a lot of money in the crypto bandwagon and to cut the long story short today my portfolio is down by 90% and that's a huge loss we make such bad financial decisions for several reasons either we operate from the fomo mindset like i did where we do not put a lot of time efforts and energy in understanding about that asset class or we get influenced by people when we follow the ship herd mentality when everyone else is doing it so i should do it as well third we don't also look at our personal needs on where our financial condition is and how we should really think about our money and this takes a lot of time efforts and energy in understanding the finance and uh, i wish i took up this journey of learning about finance way before than i did in my life so in today's episode i invited pranjal kamra who is a finance creator who has been creating for a really really long time educating people on investment stocks and finance he has got almost 5 million subscribers on his youtube channel and also runs a company called finology ventures in this episode we discuss about what are the kind of safety nets that we need to have in place before we even start our investment journey how should we really think about our retirement how should we go about planning finance as couple and also He shared something interesting which got my attention which is 
if it's anything new and not proven, should you really get into it to have an early benefit or the risks are higher? And there are so many such topics that we uncover in this episode. There's a lot that you can take back from this episode. I wish I had this kind of financial information really early on in my life. I hope you will take back a lot from this conversation and learn a lot. Let's get started. Pranjal, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. I'm sure the kind of discussion we have had prior to recording this, I will be challenged today. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I try and do that. I try and uh, kind of bring the different perspectives on each of conversations. And this conversation, we are going to try and make this a wealth masterclass of sort for somebody who's listening and trying to figure out this whole world of finance. And I loved what you said before we you know, started rolling was that oftentimes people think finance is a separate entity and there is something that you know, is different. And you said how it is integrated in our life, right? So maybe we can start by expanding a little bit on that one. And what do you mean when you say it's integrated? And also share how did we land here where finance is, is something secluded or it's, it's not the integrated part. I think, you know, if, if we zoom out, I just think that's the, probably in my limited knowledge, that's the Western way of education. You know, you isolate compounds in the study of uh, medicine and you isolate subjects, you know, while trying to teach humans. So, for example, you know, in my school, we studied moral science in a way that in today's chapter, we'll study about uh, morality. In today's chapter, we'll study about honesty. I never found that in Indian mythology. Panchtantra, you never even realize what moral values are you getting while reading those stories. So I think Mahabharata, Ramayana, all of that, the Indian way of education is including everything in an interesting story. Because probably the thought process what it is then that you retain more. And in the same lines, I tried a lot of self-help books and somehow whatever I read did not stick with me in a few months. Whereas if you read a few interesting stories, it sticks with you. So I think finance as a separate field of study, it's not that just it happened just with finance, but it's the Western way of education, probably where you study subjects in isolation. I think specifically for finance. So for example, health, not everyone in the family needs to be absolutely aware of what herbs or what medicines do what, you know, if you have a family doctor, he or she will take care of it. But when it comes to finance, not just one member in the family but every individual in the family needs to understand the basics of finance. So because it's so important, not for one family, uh, one extended family, but every individual to learn, it becomes a very core part of your life. And it's then it becomes something very indispensable. And therefore, it should be taught not in isolation, but along with your daily learning. So, you know, we tell during our growing up days, I remember my parents teaching me the importance of telling the truth importance of not harming anyone. But very rarely would I hear how to use money. You know, when it comes to money, they would say, you would get 10 rupees a month, 10 rupees a week and things like that. And you can do whatever you want. So all we are taught is probably budgeting, but nothing beyond that. And you know, ultimately, whatever financial decisions we take impacts our lives, our families' lives, and everyone is impacted. And those impacts are sometimes irreversible and very, very long-term. So I think if finance is taught at a very young age, say when you're five-year-old, you're 10-year-old, is when 
your finance learnings will automatically be included in the stories that parents tell to their children the simple reason finance became isolated from other subjects is because we are taught finance from high school not from primary school or middle school because the way of teaching in primary schools is very different it's all inclusive so i think the problem is that we don't teach finance early enough if we just start doing it it will be more inclusive yeah that's really interesting and uh, because we didn't get that kind of knowledge when we were school and i remember pretty much like what you said right the best that i would know is the budgeting bit of it and uh, i tried my hands a little bit on trying to sell something buy from somewhere and try and sell it to my you know friends and so on and so forth maybe a bit of understanding of like you know oh you get somewhere and i understood a bit of concept of profit and loss but i mean that's pretty much it right so nothing where you got this wisdom or knowledge as a as a practice right so because of which what are some of the things that you really think the association that people build with money which is negatively impacting the wealth creation process we'll start by talking about mindset and then we'll get into the whole process of wealth generation you know as a follow up to once we've covered the mindset like what are the kind of association that we started generating for the wealth because of the bringing that we had as a culture right and and this is broader than personal finance but i think one misconception or one one wrong notion about money that we all develop and it's very Evident. pervasive yeah. in the sense that you know we always measure how well we are utilizing money in terms of say say you mentioned in your growing up days you used to sell things and you know make money and always the focus would be at what price did you buy the material yeah. and at what price did you sell True. so what was your profit margin profit margin you know, we are tuned to think in terms of money mm. be it our personal money or business that it's about profit and loss mm. you know how much you earn how much at what price did you buy and at what price did you sell so it's always profit margin mm -hmm. but the basic fundamental of money is not profit margin per unit mm. it's actually return on capital mm. just to give you an example and if we just start thinking this way we'll manage our finances well and we'll get better in our profession and also our business just to give you an example so there are two people person a person b both buy pencils mm. say 10 pencils worth 10 rupees each so so at the start of the day they both invested 100 rupees now person a decided he wants to sell pencils at a premium so the the pencil that he bought at 10 rupees he started selling at say 15 rupees so he earned 5 rupees per pencil by the end of the day he sells his 10 pencils and he has 150 rupees with him so on a, on 100 rupees he made 50 rupees and you know we would measure his performance by that he sold 10 pencils 5 per pencil he made 50 rupees so on an investment of 100 rupees in the beginning he earned 50 rupees 5 rupees per pencil 50% margin there's this another person who buys the same pencils 10 pencils at 10 rupees each but he starts selling at 11 rupees therefore he ends up selling more of it you know people are buying more uh, the the person the other person is selling at 15 i'm getting here at 11 so people buy more by the end of the day he is able to sell 100 pencils he earns only 1 rupee per pencil but he sells 100 of them and in the end of the day he had 100 rupees on top of the 100 he invested so his return on capital was actually 100% but we measure performance by he earns 5 rupees per pencil and he earns 1 rupee per pencil and we measure everything in terms of pnl whereas return on capital or re return on investment is much more important than everyday pnl just to give you an example of walmart 
know, one of the biggest corporations of the world, its profit margin is 0.5%. That 0.5% actually allows them to sell a lot of stuff. Yeah. So they are earning 0.5 on a lot of transactions. During my childhood, I, I did a lot of uh, child-friendly businesses like mm. renting comic books, mm. renting game CDs and things like that. And even I always thought that way. How much did I earn per mm. unit of transaction? Mm. But that's such a wrong way to think about it. Ultimately, all you are concerned about is this much money I put in, how much did I, money did I make on the money I put in? Because ultimately, you want your money to work for you. So you also measure performance on how much incremental return you made on money, on your money. That's how hard your money worked. So you also have to measure. It's not about how hard you work. It's about how hard you made your money work. If money is an object that doesn't get tired, you want your money to work really, really hard for you. So I think that's one difference that I think a lot of businessmen don't understand, professionals don't understand, and salaried people definitely don't understand. That's really interesting. Now, I think that's a great way to look at it, right? And also in the place like India, where we have crazy number of people here, right? And I think the game of volume, if you look at, and this is something that I was talking to having conversation this morning, the Amazon Prime subscription in India cost 1000 rupees and in UK, it cost 10,000 rupees a year. And I don't know the numbers, but I'm assuming that Prime probably would make way more here in India than in UK that they will ever, because the sheer volume of people that we have, like, like I said, I don't, I haven't looked at the number, what that number is like, but because the number of people that we have, right, they would make way more than that. So that's one aspect of it that we do not look at return on the, uh, you know, on our investment. So, and also like when it comes to making money, what are some of the like biggest disbeliefs or biggest like mindset blocks that you think we do have a lot of people that you have encountered and the people who are working at job or the people who are mostly like let's say working professional or salaried people and also like business owners to some extent like from the mindset perspective what do you feel that you know they, they just don't understand i think you know we have this high sense of entitlement that you know just because i was always the topper of my class or i cracked du or iit or i am you know i deserve this much you know we need to understand that for example 12th class say 12th class every year in cbsc Roughly 12 to 13 lakh students appear for the CBSC 12th class exam. Probably 5 lakh each of those would be from commerce and 5 lakh uh, science and the remaining is from arts. So imagine this and this is really terrifying if we understand this. Every year, 5 lakh students are studying the exact same poems, plays and stories that I am studying. So basically, we are preparing 5 lakh clones every year. And your working life is roughly 30-35 years. So you multiply 5 lakh by 30-35 times. And that is the number of people who have studied the same thing throughout their school. And then you want your employer to consider you as different. How on earth will he or she be able to consider you as different? You know, someone might have scored 60% in it. Someone might have scored 80%. But essentially, they've all studied the same the thing. same thing. So no matter how good you get at it, there are 10 times more people who know 80-90% of what you know. So why should you be valued higher? You know, I, I'm a big believer in interdisciplinary learning. I think to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. which is And which is why it's extremely important that a science student learns about commerce and arts. A commerce student learns about the other two disciplines. Because ultimately, you know, you never know which mental models model helps you in which, you know, corner of life. So I think one way to get ahead is 
to learn something about all the disciplines psychology sociology political science economics if you know all of that a little bit at least the basics you know how how unfortunate this is that a science student probably doesn't know five basic principles of economics and an economics student does not understand five basic principles of physics that really limits our cognitive ability and you know our ability to take decisions because ultimately you know to grow in your career i think for the first 5 years to grow in your career your core skill matters but after 5 years where you end up depends on your management skills and not your core skill so how will you end up improving your management skills by reading about various aspects that is when you can handle various people handle different situations and you become an overall better manager i think that's really really powerful thought on the way you know you said like hey you know what i'm a topper or whatever but ultimately we've learned the same thing that hundred other people have learned or thousands of people have learned and it also is about like if you want to make more then you have to figure out like what is it that i know that a lot this 95% of the other people if i want the only way to earn more is to become in a job setting i'm talking about is to become irreplaceable the only way as an employer i'm going to pay you more than the market standard is because is if i cannot replace you so how do you make yourself irreplaceable simply by building various uh, mental models how will you do it by reading about various disciplines so it's very very simple if we think like that that's really interesting and now that's one aspect of it right so hey you know what okay now i in a way got a framework to know how can i probably make more in the job setting by doing things in a different way figuring out the ways to make things happen and thinking of the things that no one else is thinking and how you're going to do that is by like if you just look at in your industry then there's like a certain way of thinking right but when you go and look at other industries then probably you can get in something that that you can plug in in whatever you are doing that makes it different and unique right and i think i remember this steve jobs went to the calligraphy class and that's when the font and stuff came in came into picture right if he never went to the calligraphy class then probably would never had like i don't know like if we ever you know get that fonts on our thing right you know one thing i've also observed uh, when you're trying to grow in your own industry by trying to d- do things which are supposedly you're supposed to do in order to grow in your industry so you know in every industry there are your seniors who would tell you do this mm-hmm. this this and you'll end up doing yeah. well yeah but i think that uh, feedback that you get from your managers or seniors that you know do these three steps and you'll do well that feedback or the are those suggestions are often delayed just to give you an example you know four years ago i started hiring and there was this girl that we hired as our so she joined us as an intern and the only reason we took her as an intern was that she had cleared cfa level 1 and back then 4 years ago it was really tough to find someone who had cleared even cfa level 1 in raipur now she's almost completed uh, with her cfa and i know it for a fact that for the next 10 years people would look up to her in her family she's doing really well at our company as well and and i think she is the first female person to work in her family so a lot of people in her family her cousins look up to her and you know for the next 10 years they would look up to her and if she continues telling them that you know you should do cfa i did cfa level 1 and i got a good job and from then everything went well but as a recruiter i know the reality that today if you are cfa level 1 you know they are so easily available we don't even look at them 
you need to be at least CFA level two to be an intern at our company because people like her. It's very dynamic and huh, changing super very fast. Very quickly, yeah. and people like her. They are such big role models that seeing her, a hundred more people end up doing CFA. So, so by the time you realize that, okay, she might have followed the, those steps, and those turned out to be really well. Times were different, and times changed drastically in five years. So often, I think you know. following the advice of your seniors or your managers actually don't work because the dynamics have changed and we think we are doing the right steps why are the results not coming because it's delayed that's really interesting so what's the kind of difference that you see in let's say the understanding of money in the millennials versus the gen z do you see any difference in how both of these different generation uh, sort of approach money So there's one uh, difference that I that I clearly notice is that you know millennials started learning about money at a slightly older age, but Gen Z they're probably learning about money ten years of age, twelve years of age. So so this is the first generation that's actually learning about finance in the pre-teens yeah. age group. That has never happened. What are the consequences of it? I don't really know. We have to wait for five years and see the consequences of it. But I see this crypto boom that happened in the last couple of years probably happened because a lot of youngsters were coming in and and you know all they had was digital learning and also like when Zomato IPO happened right mm. at the major investor a lot of the individual sure. investor were the first time investors sure you wouldn't have imagined that like three years back or five years back let's say ah uh, so the reason I did not bring IPOs up mm. is I think in all bull markets mm. last thirty years mm. since nineties this is one common trend that if IPOs are doing well a lot of fresh investors ah. come in a lot mm. of DMAT accounts mm. are open but I think. Suddenly, uh, you know, in twenty 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 one, actually the number of crypto accounts overtook DMAT accounts. This is because of a generational shift. That here is a generation that just started reading about finance, and suddenly, because all of them were at home and they've not experienced the consequences of risk, and and because naturally this is an age group where you are attracted to the latest and the most hyped asset class hyped asset class yeah you go so quickly all in that 40 years of stock market and 2 years of crypto and you end up having twice the amount of crypto accounts as compared to dmat account so that is one thing that clearly happened because of gen z and younger millennials suddenly thinking okay tech this is the way to go so never before this has happened that an asset a new asset class that has emerged probably in the last 5 years in india specifically in the last 5 years an asset class emerges and becomes a bigger asset class compared to stock market usually a new asset class would have been viewed with huge suspicion it would take 10 years to mature and then the adoption curve will be slower this suddenly an asset class emerging and becoming the biggest i think this happened because of this younger generation so i don't know what the consequences will be so there are like both sides to this right i mean because the adoption maybe also because the times that we are living at right like i mean maybe if it took 40 years for this stock as a uh, asset class to develop but we are living in the time which is where things are moving at like a rapid scale the tech and like where whatever you look right the way the way things are moving where you and i would have thought that hey you know what i think this is something that's going to take like at least 5 to 10 years is happening in like a years time you know with the ai and all the all the stuff right and then maybe that's also the factor to this like 
See, I would have understood it if it was comparatively easier to invest in cryptos and stock market still involved a lot of paperwork. It's equally easy to invest in the stock market. And stock market has certain. So you think of, that it's more of a marketing and uh, the hype that it it been generated around it? It's simply because it's very techy, it's very cool, and that is what preteens or teens relate with. It's it's it could be fashion, it could be food, it could be culture, anything. But I think anything that's new, the younger you are, the more acceptable you are because you don't have anchoring of the past technology or the past era. You enter this ecosystem now. and whatever is the coolest or the most hyped you think that's the base you're not anchored to the past so naturally younger people are more tuned to accepting change because they are not anchored from the past so i think one thing that i saw is the only reason this could have became twice the size in terms of number of accounts of course total investment is much less because the younger generation is investing so their ticket size is lower but in terms of number of accounts is because this the younger you are the more risk friendly you are you're willing to take more amount of risk because you don't understand the consequences of that now when cryptos are down 80 90% i'm sure they understand so you know in terms of if i say learning curve it hasn't changed i think our fathers generation learned this way taking excessive risk understanding the consequences becoming risk averse millennials understood this way and gen z is also understanding this way it's just and and it's unfortunate that they exposed themselves to cryptos suffered way more loss than previous generations because stock markets don't go down 80 90% that often and because of this stock market and cryptos both are now painted with the same brush in their minds so that's a little unfortunate no that's a really interesting perspective right there so we're talking about the the mindset of the people and you know the skills and stuff like that right so for somebody to make more money what are the things that they need to understand fundamentally like one thing that we said like hey you don't look at just profit and loss pnl second thing that we said like hey how you are differentiating from hundreds of other people who have read the same thing that you have read that's right so what else so in terms of you're talking about how to get more from your investments or no, in general in general like for me to make more money mm-hmm. here are the few things that you need to know like right. one we said like you know pnl another mm-hmm. is like skills mm-hmm. what else You know, first I'll talk about active income, and then I'll talk about passive. And sure. collectively, you have both ways. So, one, no matter you're self-employed, employed, or in a business, thousands of years of human civilization, we have certain ground rules, mm-hmm. and we need to respect and learn about those ground rules. I think a lot of times, someone, and and this is true for me as well. I manage a company of fifty, fifty-five people, and if you ask me, do I know the ten ground rules of how to be a decent CEO? Probably I don't. Mm-hmm. I probably I know four or five rules, yeah. but I don't always act using those mental models. So I think whatever you are doing, I I really like how Dhoni and Sehwag would break down cricket. That ultimately it's about bat hitting the ball. It's if your head is clear. most of the times you'll end up doing that because if you have reached that level obviously you have the skill now it's about going back to the basics and keeping your mind clear and i think that's true for what we do in our lives sometimes we overcomplicate things we we figure out great hacks that work for short term but don't work in the long run because what are most hacks say finance hacks business hacks they are information arbitrage they work for few months weeks everyone figures that out and stops working 
but we don't pay enough attention to ground rules as a tech engineer how am i supposed to learn new languages what is the most efficient way to learn a new language in the least possible time so what would i do if i'm trying to be that i will try to find probably the similarities which between every different tech language okay these are the five ground rules on which every language works so i am very clear on them and every time then i start learning a new language i don't start from scratch i know that every new language is at least 30 40% similar to the previous one and these are the similarities so i always start 40% ahead i don't start from scratch because i'm aware of the ground rules so i think in our discipline if you are aware of the ground rules we learn quicker it's more efficient and and we don't feel lost when we are getting started and this is just about in your particular field i think there are a few ground rules in life as well as a professional as well as a family person as well as a friend as well so i think in each dimensions of our life if we are clear around our ground rules mm-hmm. and the non negotiables when to say no mm. i think life becomes much easier also now coming to both something that works in active and passive income and this is particularly about money in general if you are investing if you are saving or you know if you are taking loans all three aspects lending insurance investments boring is good you know if someone brings you a fancy insurance it has to be bad it's just a new way for them to make more money because the regulator has recently probably reduced margins and therefore that previous product is not lucrative enough so they you know find a way around the regulators new regulations and bring in a fancy product if it's fancy if it's new it's not good it's true for insurance it's true for investments cryptos are an example it's true for lending say buy now pay later cards are an example you think that you are using a credit card you end up taking multiple personal loans it yeah. impacts your civil anything that's new ipos are another example mm. if there are 5000 companies already listed and this new kid on the block is up for sale before adopting that new kid i have to convince myself how is this new kid better than the 5000 previous ones already available mm. just because of pr just mm. because a lot of people are getting a lot of money to talk about that new thing mm. it's the same with nfos it's the same with new residential or commercial real estate properties you want to talk about the new thing because a lot of people are paying for that because a lot of money is already on the table a lot of money has already gone into building it and the only way to recover is to sell it aggressively mm. and so this is not about investment this is about how you make your purchasing decisions in your everyday life why would you buy the latest shoes that nike has launched and is promoting aggressively next year a new technology would come and the previous shoe would be at a 50% discount it's the same with iphone pros if it's a 16000 rupees more expensive in us why is it 50000 rupees more expensive in india you know you could probably buy an iphone 13 pro or you could buy an iphone 14 so most new things the latest things if you purchase usually it's a bad decision not just financially but also because the product is not well reviewed you don't have any user review or user feedback so you know often a lot of first generation car models they end up with a lot of tech bugs you realize that there's some rattling here airbags are not inflating average is down and when the second updated model comes most of those problems are ironed out so in general in life if you stay away from the very latest innovation 
you're going to do well than you currently are. Mm. But also, I think there's a lot of pressure to be the first one, right? I mean, whatever that is, to adopt the first one, be ahead of the curve, right. if I may, uh, where sometimes it also works in your favor. <laughs> like if you looked at the people who probably got on the whole crypto ahead of the curve, like when nobody was talking, probably made the most money. Or maybe not one can always argue that, but like if you generally look at somebody who probably got on that wave early on, Versus it became like a mass thing. Right. See, there will always be uh, examples and yeah. incidents where, you know, being ahead of everyone worked. Yeah. But, but you know, as a process, when when you are looking to build a process. There's a shortcut. Like if you're thinking of this as like a overnight thing, then, right. you know, then it's, that's not how you should be thinking probably. Right. Yeah. So, so if you're looking to build a process that repeatedly works for you throughout your life and without exposing yourself to risk then I wouldn't be the first mover in any of the categories. Also, we need to understand that the people who really made money in cryptos were the ones who were really, really into it. As in probably they were developing the ecosystem. So they were insiders. They were not casual people trying to hop on to someone's invention and making money out of it. They were actually entrepreneurs building the ecosystem. So the rewards that they got were actually rewards for entrepreneurship, not investments. And entrepreneurship is always more rewarding in general because the risks are higher. So I think that wouldn't be the right example because most of them were actually entrepreneurs and they knew probably 100 times more than we did. We did so I yeah. think another ground rule this brings me is, and again, in general, in life, but specifically in investing, never venture out of what you know. In the sense that if I don't know, so in, in, in stock market, I've seen this a lot, specifically with the younger generation. They would, you know, the first talk and, and when I do these physical seminars, I ask this, then how many of you own, so, there's, so say there are 500 people, and I would ask how many of you own Infosys and probably half the hands would go up. And then I ask them, how many of you use products by Infosys, any product of Infosys? No hand or probably if there is a bank employee, a couple of hands go up. And then I ask them, how many of you own uh, shares of Bata? no hand goes up and I ask them how many of you have at least one pair of footwear in your household made by Bata. Almost all hands go up. So, so think about this. We don't invest in what's obvious, in what we are using as a consumer. But we want to always go towards something that promises stars. So in fact, when I ask, a lot of people have invested in Tesla mm. and no one owns Tesla in India, mm. in that crowd at yeah. least. So why go and buy Tesla mm. when you don't know about it as a consumer? Yeah. And, and there's a reason behind why, why this happens. Because say someone is a doctor mm. and working in a hospital, because of their of working in an industry for a certain number of years, for a certain number of hours, they understand and they know everything that's wrong in that industry. Mm -hmm. And you know, that makes us sort of unlike that industry. That makes us deflect that industry. Mm. That if I ask a doctor, you know, how many pharma stocks do you own? Uh, I don't invest in pharma stocks. You know, you know what kinds of things happen? You know, what what uh, commissions are exchanged yeah. in hospitals and things like that? I don't invest in that. Mm. And they know nothing about IT. Mm. I'm sure equal mal <laughs> malpractices happen in the IT industry as That's well. That's true. It's mm. our ignorance yeah. which makes us think that mm. those industries are better. Mm. But we'll always end up doing better if we stick to what we know. Mm -hmm. because ultimately if no matter how much annual reports I study I cannot know more than a hospital than a doctor but a doctor would never invest in a hospital how unfortunate is that 
and a doctor would always invest in an IT company <laughs> and the vice versa is also true yeah no, that's really interesting and a moment back you were talking about learning and which uh, reminded me of I had a chat with Navin Jain who is a billionaire and he said one of the important skill that you can really pick up is learning how to learn about things you know when you learn how to learn i think that's like you know that's that that's the way like you said like knowing the ground rules and setting the foundation so that you are ahead of most of the people because you have the grasp of the vocabulary of a lot of you know stuff generally right so when you have the vocab of a lot of things then it's it becomes much easier for you to study what's new in the research paper or whatever the studies that are coming out so that you then are a little ahead in terms of learning from that like for somebody who let's say maybe have invested mm-hmm. like maybe downloaded small case or maybe grow or whatever and then just okay i see that these guys have curated this let me put my money small and let's small case is new by the way yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah whatever that is right sure. so okay because i don't understand mutual funds i don't understand this and let me just like you know it looks like interesting way because i don't have to think about it there are people thinking for me or maybe just put it out there now where should one begin the journey of understanding managing their money like where does it begin like what is the first step okay now let's say pranjal i have never ever invested anything i look at getting into this whole personal finance management other than like i make money through my job through my business whatever that is x amount comes to my bank x minus y is my monthly expense and i have z amount that i have as a spare which i can probably invest or whatever so how should like one really then start if somebody has never done anything like that so you know we'll start with what is the amount that you should invest probably that's the one question so i think in general if you can manage try and invest at least 20% of your monthly income mm. whatever that is mm. if the higher the better mm. but aim for 20% okay at least mm. if so 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 that's a good way to start and then you know keeping it very very simple is important because you know if you try to invest in something which you are not comfortable with one you'll invest less than what you can because you're not comfortable and second you'll exit earlier and you know ultimately whether that instrument offers you 15% or 20% is not important what's important is if inflation is 5 6% whether you are earning more than 6% or not and whether you can stay invested for 10 years or not so if you find an instrument that after all the taxes gives you a return of more than 6% and you are so comfortable with that instrument that you can stay invested for 10 20 years that's the right investment for you and that's the right instrument so now let's figure out what are those instruments i think for indians gold is one such instrument which will easily defeat inflation and you know thankfully one instrument called the sovereign gold bond is something that that actually gives you 2.5% of annual return on your gold investments so basically it gives you capital appreciation of gold which is historically been 10 to 12% and it also gives you 2.5% of interest on your investment so that gives you returns of potentially mutual funds and annual dividends of your savings account mm-hmm. and on top of that if you buy it from a demat account from the stock market you often get it at a 4 5% discount as well so imagine buying gold at a 5% discount no making charges no gst it has a maturity of 8 years you can sell it before that in the stock market 
So because you're selling before maturity is why you need to sell it at a 4-5% discount. And if you're a buyer, you get that discount. But if you don't and you hold it for 8 years, RBI buys it back from you. And any income that you make from that capital appreciation is also tax exempt. So you, you're buying it cheaper, you're not paying GST, no transaction taxes. And when it's mature, you're also not paying any capital gains tax. So I think that is one blind instrument that's good for everyone. And, you know, if you add 2.5% on the 11-12%, it gives you as good as returns as mutual funds and stocks. And gold is, of course, less risky than stocks because there's no country risk involved. If tomorrow something bad happens in India, gold prices are not going to fall drastically, but stock market will crash. So it's less riskier, but it gives you equal returns which makes it a great investment that everyone should go for. And gold is naturally something you will be comfortable and you will hold on. And you will not be reluctant to invest as per your capacity. So no matter how much I, I brag about how good stocks and mutual funds are, the truth is, if you have 1 crore to invest, you'll probably end up investing 5 lakh rupees. So no matter how good those stocks and mutual funds perform, because you couldn't allocate money in it, you'll not create wealth. So first question to ask yourself is, forget which asset class gives how much return. Which asset class are you comfortable with? Because be it real estate, gold or stocks, everyone in the long run is going to defeat inflation if you do it well. And if you buy really bad real estate or really bad mutual funds or stocks, you're not going to do it. But gold is one where your decision making is irrelevant. You buy gold and it's going to you know, perform the same way for the entire world. So that is why I really like it. And second, most Indians are comfortable with real estate. So what percent of the investment do you usually like allocate for the gold? As a finance influencer, specifically talking about stocks and mutual funds, uh, most of my wealth is actually parked in real estate. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is ironic. Uh, but but I'll tell you how that happened actually. So, you know, coming from a middle class background, my, my parents never had a house. My grandparents never in their own house. And th there was this constant discussion and, and regrets about past where, you know, we were getting a good deal, that, that home mm. was available for 10 That's lakhs and we missed it, yeah. things like that. Mm. And I've always heard my parents and grandparents talk about Khud Ka Ghar. Mm. So, so probably that is something that was ingrained uh, mm. from childhood. So I wanted to give that to them. And I realized that once they realized how great it is to live in their own house is when my family realized we should have a farmhouse as well. We should have an <laughs> office as well. And, and it never ends. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, very honestly, uh, my finances, my father looks after it, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> because, because he was always into it. He, he, in fact, he taught me a lot about money. It's, it's just that, that he was into certain businesses where he did not end up with a lot of spare money to be actually be able to make those investment decisions. But now that he sees that I have cash flow, he thinks now it's his time to take out the money manager and manage that. So he keeps hunting for, so he would ask me two things. Uh, what's the balance in your savings account? Um, I'll tell Papa this much I have okay, I have these real estate options in this budget. Mm. And that is how it ends up going. <laughs> <laughs> so I think 70-75% yeah. of my net worth wow. is actually is in real estate. Mm. But, but you know, as I said... Mm. Um, like you said, like that's what you are comfortable with, right? And it's not... That's that, what my father uh -huh. is comfortable yeah. with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but you know, even that works. Probably my returns would be 2-3% less. 
But on the contrary, when I ask myself, I find logic in this that, okay, my 70-75% of net worth is in real estate. But suppose that was not the case. Would I have been comfortable investing that large quantum of money in the stocks? Probably I wouldn't have done it. So in a way, even if I'm earning 2% less, I'm allocating 30-40% more capital. If you allocate 30% more capital at 2% less, you are ending up still much better than you would have. So it's still better. So identify the asset class you are comfortable with. And, you know, if it gives you 10% pre-tax returns or 6-7% post-tax returns, any asset class above it is a great asset class. Stay invested. Delete the app through which you have invested uh, and forget about it. And it's going to do well. No, I think... Uh... What I also took from what you've shared is the standard template that, oh, you know what, if you have 100 rupees to spend, sorry, invest, 20 rupees should go on mutual fund, 30 on Never stock. And, looks you know, great. Yeah, Never looks works. great. Never but yeah, I think because then you need to know about all of this, right? right. You need to like educate yourself of all of this. <laughs> also, hmm. uh, this rule is great, hmm. but this rule should be in the context of this is how you should end up. Mm. So in your 30-35 years of earning, yeah. when you when you are nearing retirement, mm. this is how your portfolio should look like. 30% mm. real estate, 30% gold, 40% mutual fund and stocks. This is what it should eventually look like. Mm. You know, if someone is earning 50,000, 1 lakh rupees, you're saving 20,000, 15,000, you, you'll not end up investing 5,000 in gold, 5,000 in real estate, 5,000 in mutual fund. It just doesn't work that way. Yep. So, and also... When you are young, newly married, probably living in a rented apartment, looking to buy your own apartment or a house, your priority is different. Your mm. priority is to get a home for your family. True. So, so in the beginning of your career, this this allocation will look skewed, and mm. which is okay, mm. until you have this realization that okay, abhi I have bought two properties. For the next ten years, I'll not buy any other real estate. I'll invest in gold and stock, mm. and. After 15-20 years, you will realize that, okay, if you follow that discipline, you will end up with this rule. 30, mm. 40, 30, <coughs> somewhere around that. But it's not essential to follow that every month, every year. That's not how practical life works. Mm. Because, you know, you might be very, very disciplined and you might follow all the financial rules, but you're not going to enjoy gold every day. You're mm. not going to enjoy stocks and mutual funds every day. But your family is going to enjoy real estate from the day you buy it. Mm. So even if it gives you 2% lesser returns, but you're also consuming it, mm. that also has value. Now, whether that value is 2% or not is up to you. But I don't believe in these strict financial scientific rules. They, mm. I think they ignore the practical reality. Mm. And also the emotional side of it. Absolutely. Because All of that has value. highly emotional uh, sure. people. And see, Indians, I think a lot of Indians actually started making money after the Liberalization, privatization, globalization. Mm. So last 25-30 years. So I think our parents' generation is the first generation for a lot of majority of Indian families that actually started making money. True. 30-40 years ago, 60-70% of us were below poverty line. So True. we were really poor. Yeah. So you know, when an entire country is poor and is emerging out of that poverty, it has some natural inclination towards instruments that give them that security yeah. and that uplift their lifestyle in a daily way. Mm. So no matter how much you tell them that, you know, invest in stocks and mutual funds and this should be the allocation, it doesn't impact their life on an everyday basis. Mm. So if real estate gives you 2% less but improves your life, 
I think it's a right balance between enjoying it now and saving for the future. It's mm. the perfect balance. And mm. that balance has certain value. So what I hear you say is, what if the amount that you have, then you can look at like, okay, this is the kind of ratio that eventually down the line, I'll, be, I'll want like Correct. maybe 20% of my wealth in gold or 14, sure. whatever, 13, whatever, sure. whatever way that you want to distribute that. But right now, maybe then you focus on one and maybe remaining of it a bit here and there. Oh, absolutely. And then you'd go about doing that and eventually maybe keep on heading towards the kind of ratio that you would want. Right. And the reason you say that is because if you split small amount to five different things, then it's not substantial sure. uh, return that you get. Is that what you're um, yeah. trying right. to say? Yeah. You know, that's one. And I think, say if you're saving 10,000 mm. and you're running you're allocating 2,000 to each of those instruments. Yeah. After one year, you look back, okay, I invested 20,000 rupees, I'm earning probably 2,000 rupees in it. You get demotivated mm. because the result after a certain number of years don't look drastic enough. Mm. They, and, and sometimes after certain intervals, results is what keeps you going. True. Whereas, you know, if you buy property, a yeah. couple of advantages happen. One, probably you take home loan or whatever happens. And because real estate is not easy to sell, you end up with a lot of money actually being parked. Otherwise, in the other asset class, if you would have invested, you would have taken out money, enjoyed the small profits and used it somewhere else. So because your money was parked and you can't sell and buy real estate every day, your money is still there. Mm. It's, it's also a great saving instrument. Mm. So it's an FD that's giving you 12%. Wouldn't you take that FD? It's a great FD because it's not easy to break. Mm. Similarly, you know, if you buy physical jewelry, now, it might have uh, GST, it might have making charges, but selling physical jewelry is against the dignity of an Indian family. Mm -hmm. You might sell sovereign gold bond tomorrow. You read somewhere that I could, that, you know, gold prices could crash. The day you read gold prices could crash, you would sell sovereign gold bonds. Mm -hmm. You won't sell your jewelry. So that stickiness has value. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand the kind of person, we, if someone is very, very disciplined and these things don't impact his investment behavior mm. you could stick with stocks and mutual funds in ups and downs for the next 20 years great stocks mm. are a, and mutual funds are a great investment but most individuals are not like that mm. we have to so you know even last 10 years i am in this field but i don't invest in normal mutual funds that i can sell tomorrow i invest all all my mutual fund investment is actually in tax saving mutual funds mm. and the maximum tax benefit that i'm going to get is on 1.5 lakhs mm. but i invest lakhs of rupees in tax saving mutual funds simply because i cannot exit for the next three years mm. so i make it difficult for myself to exit mm. so i don't trust myself even after 10 years of reading finance understanding mm. finance because if you put yourself in a situation where you are you know more likely to act irrationally you will act irrationally. Mm -hmm. The right way to go about it is don't put yourself in those situations. So by investing in tax-saving mutual funds, I'm never putting myself in a situation whereby reading a headline, I might sell. I can't sell. No, I think that's a that's a great tip right there. Like where you put in something and then let it do the work because you can't be very emotional about what's going on market and like, okay, let me do, be very, uh, you take decision like with the market sentiment, right? And right. that, Often we have seen sure. that happened in crypto. That happens a lot sure. of the time, right? And Absolutely. where we're losing our patience. And mm. uh, also, like what we discussed earlier, think from a bit of a long-term perspective, not like, you know, I want to be rich overnight. Like, mm. you know, that, because that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen, right? right. And, uh, and also, uh, the other thing that 
you know, I wanted to talk about you brought about like the people who are in there. Let's say worked for quite a few years now, uh, five seven years, maybe who are in their let's say late twenties or early thirties. Maybe somebody who's looking at getting married or so on and so forth. So for the people in a relationship or just getting married and stuff like that, how do you see that sort of dynamics between a couple? Any suggestions there on managing money as a couple? Like what works? Like do you think both of them separately do manage their wealth, or both of them like do a combined wealth management? Any thoughts there? I think what I really like about finance is it's an art. It's mm. not a science. You know, A R Rahman creates music completely differently from how Pritham does, mm. but both of them work. It's it's more like relationship. Mm. What works for you, what works yeah. is is what works for you. It's similar mm. with finance. Now, some people are very, uh, I would say, independent in the sense that they view their finances in a certain way and want to act on their own. Some consider this independence as a sign of not being close enough in a relationship and being too protective about their money. See, ultimately, you know, what's more important is that money shouldn't hamper your relationship. I think relationship takes prominence here. And then whatever works for you doesn't hamper your relationship. Probably, uh, you could either of the spouse could completely handle it, do it the way they want, or probably they could collectively hire an advisor and let them. The bottom line is, no matter how you manage your money, it shouldn't impact the quality of your relationship. If you are mentally, you know, happy in a relationship, I'm sure you'll figure out many more ways to earn your second income and your third income whereas if if this creates a friction you won't be even be able to focus on your primary job so i think this is very personal in terms of providing stability to the family i think this is not about saving or planning i think that's still very uh, personal but in terms of one thing that i've noticed is if both of them are working the ideal uh, scenario is one person is taking risks in his or her career say joining a startup or starting your own or you know switching roles switching profiles and one person has stable. a really stable income i think that provides a good balance to the family and security to the people you are dependent on that is one thing that's really important but who takes the decisions collectively independently i think it won't hamper much it won't it won't have drastic effects i think i can understand if it's unless you end up buying you know two flats in the same building that's that's really bad concentration <laughs> of wealth but apart from that it shouldn't matter much mm. no i really like the idea of uh, one person being stable and the other person taking the risk then you are you are essentially saving yourselves from things going down the drain right so that is really um, really great practical tip for uh, somebody who's trying to make that sort of uh, uh you know thing i i think i remember i w- probably watching a movie or maybe i don't know whatever that was like you know i, I think it was a movie where um, husband says that you know hey i'm i want to leave job i've been you know not happy or whatever and then wife ends up doing the same thing like oh. and i don't know what if it was a movie or stuff like that so essentially like you know it's also about understanding and having that communication on probably saying that hey you know what right now I want to take this risk and I want you to support me here. Correct. And maybe like hey now I think that I'm bit stable maybe mm. probably then you can now go and take a risk. Right. I think that planning is very very important having right. that conversation without feeling that hey you know what mm. I'm really you know giving a lot 
in this sure. relationship like you just can have that conversation and probably that can help so that sure. that i think is a great uh, right. great way to look at it right so one of the things that we see today a lot of our education on finance is coming from the influence that we have on social media the mm-hmm. finance influences talking about you should be part of the share economy don't mm-hmm. buy car don't buy real estate mm-hmm. that's really bad or mm-hmm. whatever like invest um, you know download this app or the other or invest in this this is fancy and so on and so forth right so there's a lot of while if we look at from much wider perspective mm-hmm. the general education on finance has improved to a certain level yet also the chaos and confusion oh, you know there has never been this kind of chaos or confusion because then people never bothered about it right so while people have are starting to think about it mm-hmm. and it's way confusing right mm-hmm. so what are some of the you know like resources or what are some of the starting points that you r- would recommend for people to start learning about the things so yeah i mean what you said is absolutely right and you know i think i think it's more like business news channels in the sense that most news channels are 24/7 and you know just that compulsion of showing something 24/7 in a way ensures that the quality cannot be good you know it's you choosing to 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 enter into something which by structure will not allow you to put out quality content i think in a lot of cases influencers assume or take that burden onto themselves that one content one piece of content every day now that pressure that they have put on themselves i don't know how much of that is actually because of way the algo works versus how much they think how the algo works but they put that pressure on themselves and once that pressure is there one piece of content every day they'll have to talk about fancy things they'll have to talk about something that shocks the viewer every day so that they retain that they, they ensure that the that the audience keeps coming back to them because you know i make one video every 10 15 days and it's not that i don't want to i don't end up finding anything worth sharing more than once in 10 15 days specifically because i've been doing that for the last 4 years so i've said already a lot of things so i can understand someone making a piece of content every day what kind of pressure they feel so i think ultimately including me all of us on most of us on youtube on social media more than finance experts we are entertainers in a lot of ways um no one has a lot of proven track record of making or well, managing public money true. no one has that true. it's just that we reproduce knowledge that assumed to be boring in mm. a more entertaining and in a more bite sized way that's our role basically and as long as people take us like that that we could be a very good starting point mm-hmm. you know we tell you about something you did not know exist and then go and find your exactly. own rabbit hole and go deeper you don't and do your research take your financial decisions based on what we say one we are not qualified enough we are not experienced enough we, are, we don't have that track record to be very honest you know if i was managing 10000 crore rupees today i wouldn't be on youtube mm-hmm. i would be managing that money that's that's brutally honest but and i think that's true for 99% of the influencers i know and i'm not saying they're doing the wrong thing i think we have still played a huge role in increasing financial inclusion but when you start whether the fault is ours or theirs i don't know when we when we try to portray that you can take actual serious financial decisions based on what we say we are wrong or if you assume that 
यू नो वट एवर वी से यू गो एंड बाय यू आर रॉन्ग द ऑडियंस इज रॉन्ग सो आई थिंक वन ग्रेट वे टू स्टार्ट लर्निंग अबाउट मनी इज रिच डैट पुअर डैट फॉर एवर इट विल ड्रिल द कंसेप्ट ऑफ मनी इन योर हेड एंड द सेकेंड इज लर्न टू अर्न बाई पीटर लिंच सो स्टार्ट विद दीज टू बुक्स यू नो इन केस ऑफ पीटर लिंच ही समवन who probably has the best track record of managing a mutual fund for 30 years he managed the cagr of 30% he was managing billions of dollars he has no incentive to write a book for the purpose of earning few extra bucks that's not the purpose when i write a book when someone writes a book or creates a new video probably the incentive could be to earn a little more but for him that's not the incentive so follow people you are sure that they don't have any vested interest in directly pitching you something probably the pie is too small for them or you know they've already retired and made enough so if warren buffett writes a letter yeah. he has no interest in trying to misguide you he'll gain nothing fifth sixth richest person on earth why would he write something wrong and put his reputation at stake when ratan tata advises something when a political leader advises something you might think twice there must be vote bank politics behind it but when ratan tata says something about life or finance why would he lie why would he say something wrong and can i buy him you know i can't no one can no company can so you cannot make him say the wrong thing by giving him money can you make me say the wrong thing by giving me money you don't know so selecting your sources carefully but to start with rich dad poor dad and learn to earn first thanks for being so honest about this Uh, but like you said in raising the general awareness and talking about the things that probably you wouldn't have thought of the whole the creators who are you know creating content are definitely playing like some really inter- important role there but like you said take ideas from there but then go deeper and find the people or the sources where you can learn a real stuff about it rather than just taking decisions based on a reel that you watched you know another simple hack would be Say if you think buy now pay later cards are good, yeah. because of influencers are saying it or yeah. advertisers pay in three months. Hmm. You would ask why did Axis Bank or HDFC Bank or ICIC Bank doesn't have a buy now pay later card? These are pioneers. They they have been innovating in the banking space in the last thirty years. If buy now pay later was not just a fad and something real, Axis or HDFC or ICIC would have been the first ones to bring those cards out. You know why? when we talk about investing in us stocks zerodha doesn't offer that india's number one broker trusted good reputation good track record of being in compliance with the regulatory requirements how could zerodha miss offering us stocks they haven't missed it they have intentionally chosen not to build it why there must be something regulatory problem why when we talk about crypto apps suddenly these coinbase and vault and every and all these companies were those who did not have a track record why why did no reputed entity start a crypto app there must be something they were fearing and if they are fearing who understand financial market banks and brokers mm-hmm. they understand financial market way more than we do you know why are we not cautious when they are cautious so i think any product which you find that Zerodha, HDFC, ICICI, or Axis is not offering is probably not a good financial product. That's an interesting way to uh, look at it, right? Uh, let's say if you and I'm going to give you a case, right? So let's say you were just starting your 
financial journey where let's say you've just started making money and you've taken care of some basic stuff you've you know done the fancy phone that you wanted to buy or whatever that you wanted to do buy and you were like oh now probably i need to look at probably saving for later maybe for 5 mm-hmm. or 10 years and stuff like that now you're thinking about those things with the knowledge that you have today and if you're just starting out on the whole idea of investing and you know mm-hmm. saving and so on and so forth what are the first few maybe you can talk about like the safety nets and then you know mm-hmm. what are the basic things that i'll first take care of mm-hmm. and then if i still have more then this is what i'll do so you know we need to bifurcate here that most of us are worried about what happens if we don't earn so you first plan your investments around the situation when or if you are not earning so what could be those circumstances one after you retire what will happen what how will you take care of your after retirement expenses that's a problem you buy a national pension scheme for that so that's a blinder there are a lot of retirement calculators you put in a certain uh, parameters and it tells you what amount you need to invest in nps and you start investing in national pension scheme absolute no brainer what other the uh, circumstances could be death if if god forbid you die what will happen to your family so you buy a life insurance hmm what next what if you become really really ill okay uh, on the life what about the term insurance oh all you buy is pure term life mm. so you buy till the age you think your children will become independent mm. so if you are 30 planning to have children in the next 5 years you buy life insurance till the time you will be 65 mm. by the time your children will be 30 mm. most probably they'll be able to earn so you are saying term insurance oh absolutely term insurance mm. nothing else okay any other kind of life insurance is miss selling mm. all you buy is term insurance is very very cheap mm. what we end up doing is uh, we're looking for return in the insurance as well either that mm. or we are looking to car cover ourselves for 80 years 90 years mm. and mm. and by that time your family will already be independent mm. you, you will not have any dependents so if so if that's the case you you buy life insurance till the time you think your children will at mm. the age of 30 mm. you don't because then the premium really rises mm. because for the insurance company also the risk rises yeah they covering you for 65 versus they covering you for 75 makes a huge, huge difference true so you save that money in, in your premium and you invest that in mutual funds and enjoy that right now that pension insurance yeah yeah third one next is what if you become seriously ill so you buy health insurance for that so that's the third thing fourth and health insurance is something you buy for the entire family because anyone can fall ill and you are the earning member you're going to bear the financial burden so health insurance entire family life insurance only the earning member fourth is what if you are laid off so you keep 8 to 10 months of emergency fund and now and where do you keep this like in your liquid fund uh, where do liquid you put fund them? could could work or savings account with an auto sweep activated so what auto sweep does is it gives you the returns of an fd and it retains the flexibility of a savings account so that so now we have covered all most scenarios where you are not earning now once that is sorted is when you think about gold real estate and stocks i think that's a good framework for everybody who's listening because what i've seen is a lot, lot of people have invested on mm-hmm. mutual funds and you know cryptos and what not of the world that this fundamental is not covered Correct. right Correct. which i think is such a wrong way to go about it because oh, you haven't safeguarded the worst that can happen right. you haven't built the safety net and you went to invest right all right this has been such a great conversation any uh, parting words that you would like to uh, share with the people who are listening to this conversation 
um you know i've covered this but i would say this again you know no matter how much i say it's never enough please don't invest in anything you don't feel comfortable with because in the short run it might offer you higher returns but you will never be able to stay invested you will never be able to allocate enough capital and in the long run you will feel it was better off if i would have invested in this asset class where i felt comfortable investing more it's about giving more time and investing more it's never about getting more returns thank you so much pranjal for sharing some really really interesting perspectives um there were some you know perspective that i haven't paid attention to so thank you so much for bringing that in notice and for uh sharing and being you know authentic and honest about you know few things that that was really really helpful uh and i hope there's a lot for someone who is listening to this to take from this conversation thank you pleasure yeah. thank you so much for inviting me hey thank you so much for listening to this episode if you enjoyed listening to this i want you to do two things for me number 1 if you are listening to this on apple podcasts or spotify subscribe to the podcast and give five star ratings this will help me attract more listeners to this podcast and take this information to a wider audience so that we can help more people grow in their life and second share this episode with at least 3 people in your network who you think need to hear this episode you never know just by sharing this episode you can help them transform their life be that person who helps other grow in their life thanks again for listening to this episode i'll catch you in the next now go out there and do something inspiring